A couple weeks ago, we began chapter 14. On that day, we looked at Jesus' last supper with his disciples. Now, last week, we covered the events that occurred in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there, you know, we saw how he cried out to God. We also looked at his arrest and how the 11 disciples deserted him. This morning, as we finish chapter 14, we're going to take a look at, we're going to take a look at two trials that were occurring roughly around the same time. The first trial we're going to take a, take a look at is Jesus's, a trial inside the home of the high priests before the religious leaders. The second is that of Peter's, out in the courtyard by a servant girl with no status or authority. We're going to be seeing some of the similarities in the way both Jesus and Peter were interrogated. We're also going to see some of the differences in how they chose to respond to their accusers. What I hope you'll learn this morning through these verses and my message is the importance of standing firm for what you believe regardless of the accusations being thrown against you by, opposition, by oppositional forces. If you've ever heard of Lecrae, um, he's a Christian hip-hop uh, rapper um, uh, hip-hop rapper um, and he wrote a book recently called um, Unashamed and in there he wrote your true character is, is revealed not by how you act when life goes your way but how you act when the bottom falls out and that pretty much encapsulates here uh, our, our message Let's ask the Lord to open our hearts to his word this morning. Lord, we come before you again and just to glorify you, to honor you, to um, praise you for what you've done, what you've given us. For just us being here right now, Lord, to hear from you, to study your word. Lord, there's a lot here that you want to show us, and I just pray that you will reveal it to us, Lord. Lord, may our hearts be soft soil to receive it, so that it may be implanted deeply within it, Lord. We don't want to leave this room the same way we walked in. Some of us are going through really difficult trials. We're going through really difficult hardships. Lord, and we want to hear from you, Lord. Pour your spirit upon this place, Lord, so that people will hear from you, Lord. And just use me as well, Lord, as your vessel. May I honor you with these words I'm about to speak. Remove any hint of pride, any hint of selfishness, Lord. And just use me to speak your words. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be in Mark, again, chapter 14. I'm going to pick up where we left off last week. We're going to be in verse 53. 
Mark chapter 14, verse 53. And there it says, They led Jesus away to the high priest. And now the chief priest, the elders, and the scribes convened. Peter followed him at a distance right into the high priest's courtyard. He was sitting with the temple police, warming himself by the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they, cannot, but they could find none. For many were giving false testimony against him, but the testimonies did not agree. Some stood up and were giving false testimony against him, stating, We heard him say, I will demolish the sanctuary made by human hands, and in three days I will build another not made by hands. Yet their testimony did not agree even on this. Then the high priest stood up before them all and questioned Jesus. Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer anything. Again, the high priest questioned him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And all of you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robe, robes and said, Why do we still need witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, and to beat him, saying, Prophesy! The temple police also took him and slapped him. If you've ever taken a civics course in school or a government, or a government course in school, you may have learned that in our American justice system, a person who is accused of a crime is presumed is automatically presumed innocent until proven guilty. In a criminal court trial, a defend, the, the defendant is appointed a defense attorney to defend him or her from the criminal charges brought against them. A prosecutor is also appointed to prove the guilt of the defendant by showing evidence and bringing witnesses to testify against them. There also a judge uh, there's also a judge who presides over a jury trial, ruling on motions object and objections made by the lawyer. And in criminal cases, a jury is selected to hear, deliberate, and judge the cases. Now I know there's more to that, it's more intricate, but those are pretty much the basics. Okay, now try to imagine being arrested for a crime you didn't commit. You're standing alone and shackled in a courtroom with no defense lawyer. There are 70 judges in front of you that hate your guts and want to see you die. And people are brought in making false and inconsistent accusations against you. Now after telling them the truth about who you are and what you believe, these judges decide that you are that you deserve the death penalty. Then, not only that, but after they decide that you deserve the death penalty, they blindfold you and begin to slap you and spit at you. What would you think? What would go through your mind? And how would you respond to that unjust treatment? 
Now, any rational person would consider that a gross miscarriage of justice. Now, even though our current justice system looks different than the way the system, the system was during Jesus' day, legal rules still had to be followed. Well, this is essentially what Jesus went through that night in the home of Caiaphas. According to my, Matthew's account, after his arrest, Jesus was taken to the house of Caiaphas, where the most powerful Jewish men of the day had gathered. There, we're told that the chief priest had gathered with the Sanhedrin. Now, if you're curious about who the Sanhedrin were, they were the, basically the supreme council of Judaism of the time. Now, th that group consisted of about 70 men. Now, typically, they wouldn't convene there in Caiaphas' house in the middle of the night. They had a place where they met, and that place was called, after doing my study, I realized, I, I found out it was called the cham Chamber of the Hewn Stone. Now, while that's going on, while Jesus is being led there to stand before these men, verse 54 tells us that Peter followed Jesus at a distance until he reached the high priest's courtyard. And there he sat with some of the temple police, warming himself by a fire. Now, we'll get back to Peter in just a minute, or actually towards the end of our study here, but that's what he's doing. We want to keep that in mind, that he's there the whole time sitting near a fire, by a fire there in the, the high priest's courtyard down below. Now it says in verse 55, the chief priest and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they could, but they could find none. The language here indicates that these, that these religious leaders weren't conducting an inquiry to sort out the truth. The Greek here implies that they were intentionally trying to find something by which they could convict Jesus of a capital crime or a capital offense. In truth, this was a witch hunt. Now, during this trial, Mark writes, for many were giving false testimony against him, but the testimonies did not agree. After those witnesses had failed, members of the Sanhedrin took their turn and also began to testify against Jesus, including misquoting him. Now again, what they said was, we heard him say, I will demolish this sanctuary made by human hands and in three days I will build another not made by hands. But what was it that, actually, that Jesus actually said? And how were they misquote, misquoting him? In John 2.19, it says, Jesus said this, Destroy the sanctuary, and I will raise it up in three days. Completely different, not the same. Yet some of these scribes, some of these religious leaders were standing up and saying, oh, no, I heard Jesus say this. You know, and, others, and others were saying something, something totally different. But even then, as I said, their testimony didn't even agree on this. Now it makes you wonder, it makes you think whether or not they knew or cared that they themselves were violating the Ninth Commandment. That Ninth Commandment that said, you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Now, besides the lack of evidence, 
It's important to point out other facts about what made this an unjust trial and how it was totally illegal. This trial was at night when it should have been done in broad daylight. This trial was on the Sabbath. And if you know the Sabbath, you, Jews aren't supposed to be working during the Sabbath. The, according to Mosaic law, work was prohibited. So they were violating Mosaic, um, Mosaic law. Now in a capital case, there had to be two eyewitnesses to a crime. And their testimony had to agree with one, with one another, which wasn't happening. So you can tell already that this, this was a shady trial. There was something, it was wrong, it was illegal. And here Jesus was standing before these men. I'm gonna make another point about that in just a minute, but by this point, it's evident that Jesus was innocent and should have been freed. Yet the high priest couldn't let it go. And in his, in his irritation, he felt the need to personally confront Jesus directly. Now the New Living Translation puts Caiaphas' first question this way. Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? He wanted to force Jesus to say something. He wanted Jesus to say anything. But Jesus kept silent and did not answer anything. Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah 53.7. It says there, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like sheep silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. But what usually happens if you ask questions and no one's responding? Caiaphas' irritation turned into agitation. And then he bluntly asked him a second question. Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? If you remember, prior to this, whenever someone came to see Jesus, whenever they came to find out who Jesus, whether it was a demon or somebody else, he would, Jesus would, would say essentially, don't tell anyone. He would say that because it wasn't time yet. It wasn't time for him to be known and for the word to be out there. However, there was no need for secrecy anymore. Caiaphas' blunt question was meant with a blunt and honest reply. The Son of God, Jesus answered, I am. And all of you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. He was letting them know this would be the last time they would meet in the context of a trial. He would be back with all the authority in heaven and he would judge them. Well, this absolutely ticked off the high priest so much that we're told in verse 63 that he tore his clothes off in a fit of rage. He announced all had heard the blasphemy. He said, you guys heard it. You guys hear the blasphemy. 
What further proof do we need? And these men decided to take the law into their own hands by declaring Jesus, that Jesus deserved to die. Which brings me to the last reason this trial was so illegal and so wrong and so shady. You see, Jewish law require, required that if a criminal was convicted of a, of a capital crime, the Sanhedrin had to meet again the next day to confirm that judgment. This law was designed to prevent rash and sudden judgments in capital cases, but it was not observed in Jesus' trial. Now, immediately afterwards, some of these religious leaders began to spit on him, to blindfold him, and to beat him, saying, prophesy. And from that, and, and from what we're told at the end of verse 65, some of those same temple police that were near Peter by the fire also took Jesus and slapped him. Now, although you, are, you, are, you or I may never go through this kind of injustice, there's no guarantee that as Christians, we will never face a similar kind of unjust treatment. In fact, it says in, in 2 Timothy 3.12, all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you're a Christian, if you boldly stand for Christ, you may one day experience this type of persecution. There are people around the world who are experiencing this right now. But if he did it for you, why not do it for him? Again, I believe he's going to give you the strength when you're, and the, the grace to endure it. But that's why it's so important to hold on to him. That's why it's so important to never lose sight of him. How then are we to respond, are we to respond, when we're treated unjustly and when false accusations are made against us? Well, through Jesus' examples in these verses, he shows us a few ways to do that. First one, know your purpose. Back in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, we were told, then he began to teach them Jesus, that is, teach his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, be killed and rise after three days. Jesus understood that his path through the throne would pass through the valley of suffering and death. He knew his purpose was to suffer and die for humanity. Like Jesus, stand firm in your purpose by knowing that you're doing, by knowing what you're doing and why you're doing it. The more you understand your purpose as a Christian, the less you'll be affected by the mistreatment of others. When it comes to hardship, C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis once said, hardships often prepare ordinary people for an extraordinary destiny. Number two, maintain your composure. Jesus stood there as these false accusations were hurled against him. 
yet he never once lost his composure. When you're able to maintain your composure during these, difficult, during these hardships, when you're able just to stand there and just take it, knowing again that they're not true, in those stressful situations, you're showing that you trust, you're showing your trust in God. Consider the words found in James 1.12. A man who endures trials is blessed because when he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Number three, respond appropriately. Jesus never responded to the false accusations. He only responded when he was asked the truth. I'm going to read you something it says in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. If you want to write that down to, to read later on. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse, verses starting in verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be disturbed, but honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. However, and this is, this is where you have to pay attention, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping your conscience clear so that when you are accused, those who denounce your Christian life will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if it should be God's will, than for doing evil. And this, again, is what Jesus shows us. This is what, what Jesus exemplifies here. He responded appropriately. And finally, leave vengeance to God. When Jesus was being physically assaulted, for speaking the truth. He didn't defend himself or fight back. He took it. He endured it. He knew it wasn't the truth. He knew it, it just, it was all lies. And so he just let it, he, he let it go. If it happens and you're physically attacked as a Christian for speaking the truth, Endure it as Jesus Christ endured it, and leave vengeance to God. Paul exhorts us in Romans 12, 19. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for his wrath. For it is written, vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. While Jesus' trial is going on upstairs, another one was taking place down below. Another one was taking place downstairs in the courtyard. And this is where we last saw Peter warring himself by a fire. So let's move on to verse 66 and read about his own trial occurring outside. Mark chapter 14, verse 66. While Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's servants came. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, but he denied it. 
I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Then he went out to the entryway and a rooster crowed. When the servant saw him again, she began, to telling, she began to tell those standing nearby, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing there said to Peter again, you certainly are one of them since you are a Galilean. Then he started to curse and swear with an oath. I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, a rooster crowed the second time, a second time. And Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken the words to the word to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. When he thought about it, he began to weep down there in the courtyard. A young servant recognized Peter and began her own interrogation by accusing him, by accusing Peter of being a follower of Jesus. When he was put on the spot, when he was asked, are you a follower? Essentially, are you a Christian? Not only did Peter deny knowing Jesus, but he also played dumb by saying he had no idea what she was talking about. Have you ever done that? Have you ever, if someone ever asked you, are you a Christian? And you've said, I don't know what you're talking about. No, I don't know. I don't know him. Do you mean, probably know what Jesus, I mean, what Peter was going through here. When he went to go find a safer place, when he went to the entryway, away from the girl, where he thought he was going to be safe, a rooster crowed once. Then sometime later, this girl saw Peter, and she began to tell those standing nearby, this man is one of them. At this point, Peter had denied Jesus twice, but it doesn't seem to have registered with him. He's so caught up in the moment, I don't think that it just registered. I don't think it, he, I don't think he realized he was now on his second denial. He wasn't remembering what Jesus had, had, uh, had told him. Not long after that second denial, others began to recognize Peter as a Galilean and accused him of being one of Jesus' disciples. Feeling just as agitated as a chief priest who was interrogating Jesus, Peter started to curse and to swear an oath that he didn't know Jesus. And at that moment, a rooster crowed for the second time, and Peter remembered the words of Jesus. This very night, when the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Sadly, verse 72 ends by saying, when he thought about it, he began to weep. In other translations, it says that he wept bitterly. Peter did not weep until he remembered what Jesus had said. When he began to contemplate what he had done, he was sick 
to tears. Last week, we read how Peter had confidently stated two things to Jesus. Firstly, he assured Jesus, even if everyone runs away, I will certainly not. We then saw how that proved to be false when all the disciples fled after Jesus' arrest. Secondly, he declared, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And as verses 66 through 72 point out, Peter failed to keep his word not just once. Not only did, did he deny Jesus once, but three times. He failed to keep his word. Peter's overconfident statements had been said just a few hours prior to this moment. And now he's weeping bitterly in remorse and shame for denying Jesus. How did Peter get to this point? How did Peter get here? And how can we avoid making the same mistake? Well, let's examine that for just a minute. Peter got scared. As soon as Jesus was arrested, he fled in fear for his life. He got scared. He panicked. The world was coming, it was crashing down around him. He fled for his own life. And see, that's what happens. Fear will often make us lose our focus on the truth and the promises of Christ. Had he just maintained that, had he just kept his focus on that, everything may have been different. But because he only focused on what was going on around him, he lost sight of what Jesus was telling, what Jesus had told them for the past three years. The things he was seeing, the things he was experiencing, he lost sight of that. And he, all because he got scared. Peter began to follow Jesus at a distance. Peter came back from fleeing into the darkness and began to follow the proceedings as an observer, seeking to remain anonymous. When we distance ourselves from Jesus, it's hard to make a proper stand for him at the critical time. And that's very easy to do too, to follow at a distance and say, yeah, I'm, I'm a follower, but he's over there, I'm over here. I, or even just not let anybody know. Again, remain anonymous. Not letting anybody know that, that you're really a follower of Christ. He said, if you deny me, I'm going to deny you. If you deny him here, he's going to deny you up there. Is that what you want? Stand up for what you believe in. Be strong. Who cares what anybody says? It doesn't matter what anybody says. What matters is what Christ says or what God says. If I could, I would have just an, a billboard in front of me all the time saying, I love Jesus. I am a follower of Jesus. 
Is that your heart as well? Or are you scared? Are you following Jesus at a distance? Next thing, Peter sat with the temple police and warmed himself at the fire. Peter found fellowship and warmth in the company of the ungodly and forsook the fellowship of the fleeing disciples. He wasn't with his own. When he fled, he should have been with the rest of the disciples. Should have gathered around them. They should have talked about it. They should have, there's a billion things they could have done. But no, he decided to stand, go to the courtyard of this chief priest, stand by the fire and warm himself, not by himself, but with the ungodly. He surrounded himself with people that just didn't know Christ. When we surround ourselves with ungodly people, it becomes easier to be influenced by them and we begin to lose our distinctiveness, our saltiness, the brightness that's in us. We begin to lose that distinctiveness of being followers of Christ. Who are you surrounding yourself around? Are you surrounding yourself with people that are encouraging you, that are uplifting you, that are praying with you, that are trying to show you a better way, who are trying to point you towards Jesus, trying to build up, trying to help you mature as a Christian? Or are you hanging out with people that are just bringing you down to our distancing you from Jesus Christ? Are you just Are you hanging out with people that you have no business hanging out with? These are things you have to think about. These are things you have to consider. See, this is what happened with Peter. thing you want to do is make the same mistakes. Again, we're trying to learn from the mistakes from Peter. Who are you surrounding yourself with? And finally, Peter reacted and responded in his own pride. Peter's pride produced a deceptive confidence that kept him from seeking help from people and help and the help of God. Prideful people feel they have all the strength and wisdom they need to confront the challenges they're facing. I don't need church. I don't need the Christian. I don't need the pastor. I don't need the fellowship. I can figure this out on myself. I can figure out this problem for myself. I'm smart enough. That's what that is. That's pride. And sometimes, a lot of times actually, we don't turn to the people that are going to help us and we don't turn to God because 
they're not giving us the answer that we want. We want to do things our way. We want to just, it's easier that way. And I just, I, I love being angry. I love being upset. I love being, you know, this way. And so it's easier just to say, you know, I'm just going to do it my way than their way. But again, Christ brought those people into your, God brought those people into your life to encourage you, to uplift you, to bring you closer to him. And yes, sometimes that means humbling yourself and saying, you know what, brother? You know what, sister? I need your help. I'm struggling with this. I think I mentioned it last week or the week before, but a true brother or sister in Christ isn't going to turn their back on you. Isn't going to say, you know what? You figure this out. They'll be there to help you through these problems, through these storms. They'll help you through these challenges. But you have to seek them out. You have to go look for them. Don't try to do it on your own. After he fled from the garden, after he fled from that place, Peter should have taken, taken a moment to recognize the problem and correct it. Unfortunately, in those chaotic hours, his emotions clouded his judgment, and he slowly began to lose the grip of everything that mattered to him. As the world around him came crashing down, as the pressure of life started to squeeze him, couldn't see beyond the circumstance he was in and what he was feeling at the moment. He couldn't see. All he kept, it was, he was being run by his emotions. He was being run by his fears, by his, you know, all these anxieties, all these things. He was, he was being dictated by them. And because of that, he acted, he acted the way he did. Sadly, Peter's downward spiral continued further and further until the crow of a rooster snapped him back into reality. Those of us that have experienced that downward spiral know exactly what that's like. In that downward, downward spiral, spiral, it becomes harder and harder to fully grasp the severity of our sinful condition. We don't see it anymore. We don't understand it anymore. Many of us didn't realize we created a trail of destruction that severely damaged our Christian witness and hurt many of the people we love. And although it may not, not have been a rooster's crow that snapped us back into reality, something else did. The moment we hit the bottom of that spiral, the moment we were at where Peter was, where he heard the rooster and he thought, 
and he began to think. There, at the bottom of that spiral, we felt the weight of guilt become too much to bear. The energy to fight was gone and every defensive posture was abandoned. There, at the bottom, many of us heard our own personal rooster. We heard that rooster crow. And when we turned to the direction of that sound, we suddenly realized there was no one around but God. It was just us and him. You see, the rooster, the rooster crow, is meant to catch our attention. But the truth of Christ's words is what pierces the conscience and shatters the heart. Now I say we, because I've been there. I've been at the bottom of that spiral. I know what that's like to hear that rooster crow. My rooster crow was totally different. But for 10 years, I lived in my own sin. I lived in my own pride. I just, I walked away. And it took, I, I, I didn't see the trail of destruction I left behind until I was there at the bottom. I heard it. Again, I know because I've been there. And I wouldn't be here today had I not cried out to Jesus in that dark and cold pit. What I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to say here is you don't have to experience what I experience. Talk to others that have been there. It's not a good place to be at. It's not a good place to see, to be in that spiral and to see the hurt, the damage, the pain that's, that's been caused. Careers that have been damaged, lost. Relationships that have been fractured. I want to help you avoid those mistakes that I made. And that's why it's just so important to turn back before it's too late. Turn back now before you get to that place where again you hear that rooster crow and you're like, oh my goodness, what have I done? Peter, when he heard it, he, probably, he remembered the words of Jesus, but I'm sure he remembered the conversations, the laughs, the just remembering everything that he experienced with him, the words of Jesus, and that's what crushed him. Don't let that be you. I finally understood how much Jesus Christ loved me. when you rescued me from that pit. After some weeping and some repenting, I accepted God's forgiveness and was never the same again. 
if you find yourself in that place, I believe Jesus Christ will rescue you too. Just cry out to him and he will deliver you. It says in Psalm 42, 40 verse 2, He brought me from, the, from a desolate pit out of the muddy clay and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. Jesus Christ can do that for me. He can do that for you. Friends, if you're currently in or ever find yourself suffering injustice or facing accusations, carefully consider these passages. We have two different men, two different trials, and two different outcomes. One stood firm under pressure, the other buckled under it. One remained silent at false accusations, the other cursed at true ones. One maintained his composure, the other lost it. One never lost, lost sight of his purpose, while the other forgot about his. Brothers and sisters in Christ, church, friends, keep your eyes on the author and finisher your faith. Keep them on Jesus. Maybe for some of you, this message is resonating. Maybe you've denied Jesus. Maybe you've walked away. Maybe you've heard the rooster cry. Maybe you've really messed up and really have blown it and have just, your life is a mess now. And you feel that conviction and now you're at that place and you're starting to hear that rooster crow and, and you, you, just need, you need help now. Let me tell you, just cry out to Jesus. Just cry out to him. And even then, before you get to that point, don't wait until you hear that rooster crow. Cry out to him today. In a moment, we're going to pray. If that's you, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you've never, also, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's not too late. He will rescue you. That's what he did on the cross. And we'll be covering more of that in the next few weeks. But again, he doesn't want you to remain in that place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us your son, your precious son, to die for us, Lord. Lord, forgive us for those times we've denied you, those times that we've walked at a distance, those times that we reacted out of pride, those times that we've just which is easier to remain anonymous. Forgive us, Lord. Give us the strength to walk boldly as Christians. We 
We don't want to be ashamed, Lord. And the only way, again, we can take a stand for you is through your Holy Spirit, Lord. We don't have the strength, Lord. We need you every single day, every single moment. make a stand for you Lord we need you maybe some that are listening to this message or watching and and they're at that place they're in the bottom of they may be at that bottom of that barrel and the, the bottom of that spiral and and they're hearing that rooster crow Lord I pray for them they may hear it and they may reach out to you and cry out to you to you. If that's you, just fall on your face and just cry out to Jesus and just reach out to him and he will rescue you. And if you've never known him, you don't know him, and you want to be rescued, to be delivered from the pit you're in, you recognize where you're at and you need a savior, just pray this in your heart. to Jesus I'm sorry Lord forgive me of my sins forgive me for what I've done I believe you died on the cross for my sins I believe you died to forgive me for those sins Lord, I thank you for that. I believe you are God. I believe that you died there for me, and I accept it. Lord, I also accept your forgiveness. I put the weight of all those sins at the foot of your cross because you've taken them, Lord. That's what you did there. I pray you just give me a new mind and a new heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for being my Savior. And help me to walk with you for the rest of my life. We honor and we praise you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.